Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jesus is not only is, you know, welcomed at the church, but he is welcomed within the home as well. And that should be your prayer. Once this teaching and everything is all said and done, is that your prayer would be, Jesus, please come home with me. Come to my house. Because that's where you want them. Because, well, that's where you live. That's where you live. If this is your only Jesus time, you need to take him home with you. Take him home with you. Do you invite Jesus into your home, your quiet times? Maybe you listen to a message or two every week, but your faith can't stop there. God wants us to make him a part of our everyday lives. As Pastor James continues today's study in Mark, he reminds us that the Bible illustrates that we need to incorporate Jesus into our daily lives. Maybe that means you take some time away from watching TV to pray or read your Bible instead. You'll be blessed when God becomes the focus of your life. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Verse 25 says, but Jesus reprimanded him or rebuked him. Be quiet is the term there. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. So this demon is speaking, he's proclaiming this stuff, and what he's saying is actually true and all that, and Jesus is like, shut it, zip it. Zip it, which is kind of different from the exorcist of the day because there were exorcists back then as well. And they would do all sorts of crazy things. There was a lot of like showmanship with it. They had all these different ideas of how to get a a demon out of somebody. And sometimes they'd take like foul smelling stuff and they'd shove it up people's noses thinking like that foul smell would, you know, make the demon mad and leave the host, you know, kind of a deal. And they would try anything and everything. There was a lot of like incantations and, you know, if you say this phrase and repeat this and I mean, just a whole bunch of stuff. Jesus just shows up and he's like, zip it, get out of them. That's it. No like hocus pocus, no nothing, no like none of that stuff. Just direct. Why? Because he has authority. He just preached the word of God with authority. This demon shows up and Jesus is going to display his authority by telling him, you have to do what I say. You get out of him. You have to leave. You have to leave. And that's it. I don't want you to talk anymore. And the demon stopped talking as soon as Jesus said that because he has to obey. And he threw him into convulsion and all that stuff. And that's sometimes a common experience when people have a, if, if you've ever dealt with that, demon possession, praying over somebody, that's not uncommon for this type of stuff to happen. That happened there, but Jesus wasn't, he wasn't worried about it because the demon had to listen to him and the demon had to obey him. This is again, one of those things where you're like, this is scary stuff and I don't like to think about it. Well, what do you have to be afraid of? 
because what we may not see within this terminology here, within the Greek, this demon was like in this guy. And the same phrasing, the same wording there is what Paul would use later to describe how Christ is in you. In one sense, I think it was David Guzik who had said, Christians should be Jesus-possessed, right? He is in you. He's in you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have nothing to be afraid of. And especially when it comes to the world of the demonic, you have nothing to be afraid of if Christ is in you. Now, if he is not in you, he's not your Lord and Savior, here's one note of caution. Be careful what you expose yourself to. Because I believe the demonic realm is a real thing. I believe that there were a third of the hosts of heaven who rebelled against God and who were cast out of heaven. Satan, Lucifer, was the main guy there, okay? He's the devil. There were other angels and there were fallen angels and all that good stuff. And can they possess people? Yes, they can possess people. Absolutely. I think there are things that we can do. Now, I don't believe Christians can be possessed. Let me make sure you know this, okay? Because if the Holy Spirit takes up residency within your heart, no demon, not even Satan himself, can kick the Holy Spirit out of you. You understand that, right? Because the Holy Spirit is like a million times, million times stronger than Satan ever will be. Satan's an angel. The Holy Spirit is God. So if the Holy Spirit takes up residency within you, no demon or demons will ever be able to occupy that space. Now you can be oppressed, like demons messing with you. I believe that's true. Absolutely. I think there's certain times and seasons that we may go through where the spiritual warfare is stronger than at other times. We call that oppression, not possession. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't take up residency within you, if you're not a Christ follower, you can be subject to being possessed. And there are different things that can open up avenues for that. We know that, um, well, we know that drugs can do, man, they can do that really well. We can open you up for all sorts of crazy stuff. Practices within the occult, those types of things. You need to be careful, just be cautious. And even as a believer, you don't take that as like, well, the Holy Spirit lives inside of me, so now I can do this and that. No, 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 you still be cautious. I, like, I want to distance myself away from anything that once could have been a pathway for a demon to take possession, to be in me. I want to distance myself as a believer from any of that stuff. I'm not afraid of some demon taking hold of me, but... I think that's a good lesson for us to learn of like, well, I don't, if I shouldn't have messed with it then, I definitely shouldn't mess with it now as a believer. Like that's what we call holiness is really what that is. We don't know anything about this man. You have, we have no clue as how, how long he'd been possessed by this evil spirit, what got him into this situation. We have no idea. All we know is he showed up to church one day and he got set free. And I think that's the bigger point because I don't need to know how. We don't need to know this guy's story before this Sabbath meeting with Jesus. What we need to know is that Jesus has absolute authority and anybody 
should be able to show up to church and be set free. Anybody. This should be a place where people can be set free because that's what Jesus is in the business of. He's in the business of setting people free. You don't know my story. You don't know all the stuff. I don't need to know all your stuff because I know him. And he's got absolute authority. We, as his followers, sons, daughters, you get to tap into some of that authority. He said to his disciples, oh, the things that you've seen me do, you will do and greater. What did he mean by that? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But he was setting people free. He was healing people. Do people still get healed today? Absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes we limit the power and the activity of Jesus because of our, I think, westernized notions of like what's safe and what's comfortable. You know what I'm saying? We don't like to venture out into scary ground, so to speak, when our brothers and sisters who are living on the other side of the world are dealing with this stuff day in and day out. They're like, oh yeah, demon possession? Yeah, yeah, it happens all the time. But we're seeing people set free. Oh, miraculous things, people being miraculously healed in the name of Jesus, happening all the time, happening all the time. If you find yourself in a situation and you don't know, but it seems like something's up with an individual or anything like that, you have no power in your name And I think we learned that from the book of Acts, when you had some people who tried to cast out a demon using the name of Paul, you know, or this Jesus that Paul follows, and then that demon beat up all those guys, and they ran out of the house naked. You have no authority. It's his name, Jesus's name. There's nothing wrong with you saying, you know what, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to call upon the name of Jesus, that you be set free. When it comes to somebody sick, there's nothing wrong with calling upon the name of Jesus for them to be healed, for them to be healed. It's just weird, our world, and especially here in America, like we've, you know, we've seen all the stuff, all the TV guys, and they wheel somebody up with a wheelchair, and maybe it was set up, maybe it wasn't. It's all this show and everything. It's not about that. It should never be about that. Notice what Jesus did first and foremost. He taught the word of God, and then he set a guy free. His ministry wasn't about setting people free or performing miracles. His ministry was delivering the word of God. He was going to set people free demonically anyways, you know, exercising demons and all that stuff. That was going to happen, but it wasn't the main point of his ministry. It could have been. The healing could have been. And he would have been the most popular guy on the planet. But that's not why he was there. That wasn't the main thing. The main thing was the word right? So he casts this demon out. And if you were there, you place yourself, like I said, north, the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee, right there, beautiful Galilee region, very nice tropical kind of climate. There you are, you're in that synagogue, and you just witness this happen. You're probably going to think like, I'll never forget that service, right? Verse 27 says, amazement gripped the audience. Yeah, duh, right? Yeah, imagine you were the person sitting next to the demon-possessed guy, right? You're like, holy cow, he didn't come with me. I didn't invite him. Or maybe you did, I don't know. And that's, maybe you invited him because of that. We have no idea, but the amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of 
new teaching is this? Not what sort of recycled teaching is this? Because he's not quoting this guy and quoting that guy and quoting this guy. No, it's a new teaching, but it's not really new. They have the scriptures. But Jesus is like the first one to show up and actually like teach the scriptures. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It is such authority. Even evil spirits obey his orders or his commands. So he not only taught with authority, but then he displayed his authority and his authority over the angelic realm. The news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. Lots of little towns and communities there within the region of Galilee and somewhere, you know, you could have population of all kind of towns combined up, you know, 100,000 plus people within that region. But word gets out. I mean, yeah, my goodness, if that happened today, I, I can, that word would circulate. I'm pretty sure it'd be all over Facebook and Instagram. You'd be like trying to tweet it out as quick as you could, right? Snapping little story videos and all that stuff. You're at church, some demon possessed person stands up and Jesus casts a demon out of them. You're going to tell people about that. You go, yeah, you come to my church. It's crazy. It's weird. Crazy things are happening. The notoriety and all that stuff, I mean, it's all starting to spread, which leads to the next part here. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. Immediately, they let him know. This also lets us know that Peter was married and that his mother-in-law was more likely living with them. My mother-in-law is sick. Can you help her? What's kind of cool about this before we get into how he heals her is that this is like, he goes from church to home, to Peter's home. And what's really kind of cool about this is in one sense, Jesus not only is, you know, welcomed at the church, but he is welcomed within the home as well. And that should be your prayer. Once this teaching and everything is all said and done, is that your prayer would be, Jesus, please come home with me. Come to my house. Because that's where you want them. Because, well, that's where you live. That's where you live. If this is your only Jesus time, you need to take him home with you. Take him home with you. This can't be your only Jesus time. Okay? You'll find yourself getting depressed. You'll find yourself getting frustrated, especially within the world and the climate in which we live today. You will definitely find yourself, your anxiety levels will start to peak. Stress levels and all that stuff will just shoot up through the ceiling. Cortisol levels and all that good stuff that you don't want them high. But if this is your only Jesus time, take him home with you. Take him home with you. Invite him into your house. Jesus goes home to Simon Peter's home and there his mother-in-law and within this region, this high fever, I think they would call it like this burning fever, was very common within this area. They had a whole treatment thing set up. If you do this, and then after a few days, that person will be better. And just like the exercising of demons, if you do this, and if you say this, and you follow this, and that just might work. And Jesus is like, just be quiet and get out of them. And then he goes home and he's like, I don't need a knife made of all this type of metal and with a, you know, a, a piece of hair and tied to a thorn bush and all. I don't need that. I don't need that. Where's she at? Where's she at? 
says he went to her bedside, verse 31, and took her by the hand and helped her sit up. Now, I want you to see this, how gentle and how compassionate Jesus is with Peter's mother-in-law. Because remember, Mark is going to, he's going to highlight a lot of, you know, very descriptive terms all throughout his gospel. And we talked about this before. It's not that there was grass. No, there was green grass. He didn't just like grab her by the hand and, and yank her up. No, he embraced, like he takes her hand and he helps her to sit up. Mark is very purposeful and he's wanting to really to convey this beautiful picture of who Jesus really is, full of compassion full of grace, full of love. And there's Peter's mom, mother-in-law, burning up with the fever. And Jesus goes right to her, takes her by the hand, helps her up, and she's healed. But he didn't say anything. He didn't pray. Not that we know of. He just took her by the hand and helped her up. I want to make sure we get this picture of Jesus too. Because it wasn't like he's just in there and he's like, you know what? Just rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Like, come on. We're hungry. I hear you. Where's the falafels? Like, it's, we just did church. Like, I'm hungry. It's lunchtime. Let's go. Let's eat. And no, not at all. Not for Jesus. He's like, where is she at? And he goes to where she's at and he helps her up very graciously, very gently. And her response is just classic. It says, the fever left her. So she's um, immediately, the fever leaves her and she prepared a meal for them. So he healed her and then she served them. It's amazing. And he didn't heal her so that she could prepare lunch, right? Like, I hope we get that. He healed her because he's the great physician. And he's showing his committed followers, look, you can trust me. You can trust me. I have authority. I have authority to proclaim the word. I have authority to cast out demons. I have authority over whatever this thing is that's causing this high fever within your mother-in-law. I have authority over that. I have authority over sickness. Does this mean every sickness will go away? No. No. But what if I claim it in the name of Jesus? It might and it might not. I don't know. If you're praying for somebody who is sick and they don't ever get better, it doesn't mean that you don't have any faith, as some guys would like you to think. It has, it has nothing to do with that. Why does he answer some prayers and not others? I have no idea. I don't know. I don't see what he sees. I don't see the whole picture. I don't know the stories that are going to be a result of this situation not changing. I don't know. We don't see that far. We, don't, we only see a little bit. And that's part of faith. That's part of trusting in Jesus is to commit everything to prayer. I'll commit everything to Jesus. But I also want to be just like him in the Garden of Gethsemane where he says, not my will be done, but your will be done. And that's a hard thing to pray sometimes because I just want them to get better. Jesus, you're the great physician. Don't you want them to get better? Those are very real conversations that he loves to have with us. And I don't ever want you to feel bad for having conversations like that with him. Sometimes this guilt complex can creep in. You're like, oh, Lord, I'm just so sorry. And 
You know, I don't want to, I don't mean to question you or look, I don't think he has a problem with us going to him saying like, look, I'm frustrated. I don't know why you won't answer this prayer. I don't think he's offended by prayers like that. I think in fact, he probably wants more open and honest prayers and communication from us instead of being so what? Like the Pharisees. I'm only going to pray this way and in this tone and recite these only these things. And just to show you that I'm a good one. I'm a good person, Jesus. So maybe in my, in that type of, I'll call it manipulation, that you'll answer my prayer because I'm one of the good ones. I can't pray like that. I find myself doing that sometimes, trying to manipulate Jesus through my good behavior. More times than not, I'm like, man, Lord, I don't, I don't know. I don't get it. Why won't you answer this prayer? Why won't you do this? I ultimately, you and I have to step away from whatever the circumstance is or the scenario is and just say, you know what, Lord? I don't know, but you do. And I trust you. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to keep knocking. I'm going to keep seeking. I'm going to keep asking. Because I'm not going to give up. I'll keep praying. And I'm sure you have people like that within your life. Maybe it's dealing with salvation. You have a loved one who just isn't walking with the Lord. And you're getting frustrated because they're not listening to you. And they're not hearing you. And they're not giving in. Well, you keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. So-and-so who's sick and they're not getting better. You keep praying. You keep praying. What if his answer is no? Then you have to trust that he sees the bigger picture. That's a hard thing. That's a hard thing for believers. And I wish we talked more about this stuff because you think it. You live this way. I live this way. I don't know why we don't ever talk about this stuff. As if it's like, no, 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 it's, it's all good. It's all good. It's not all good all the time. Sometimes there's just frustration. But if you are frustrated, please never lose your reverence for who he is. Never stop respecting Jesus. Never stop loving Jesus. Even if he doesn't answer the prayers in the ways that you think he should. He loves you. He cares about you. He loves the details of your life. He's so in tune with who you are and what's going on within your life. He actually does care. And that should be more than enough for us to be able to lay anything and everything down at his feet, cast all your cares, all your concerns onto him. Why? Because he cares about you. So let me encourage you guys with that because maybe somebody's wrestling with that today. And you just need to lay this thing down at his feet. It doesn't mean that you're now like, I'll never think about it again. And I'll, No, 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 no. You cast it onto him. You place it at his feet because you trust him with the scenario. Whatever the outcome may be, you're trusting him. Peter's mom gets up, makes a meal. Then as soon as the sun goes down, as soon as there's some stars in the sky, the floodgates open because the people aren't going to bring their sick and their demon possessed to Jesus right away because we're still in Sabbath. But as soon as that sun goes down and they, you can tell, if you can't tell by the, the feeling of the story, they are watching.
We're so glad that you joined us for a look at the Gospel of Mark here on Bread for the Broken. Pastor James will continue to take you verse by verse through this New Testament book about Jesus. There's so much to learn. We pray that you've heard something today that's drawn you deeper into your relationship with the Lord. Do you have questions about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus? Well, we would love to hear from you and talk more. So go to breadforthebroken.com and click on contact to leave a message for us. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. Or if you're in the Galveston area, we would love to get to know you in person too. Join us on Sundays or Thursdays as we study God's Word together at Calvary Galveston. You'll find service times, more information, and directions at our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. We're so grateful for our listening audience. And if this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you consider teaming up with us in a financial way? A lot is done to get these teachings out on the radio. And we're so grateful for those who feel led by God to contribute in that way. Simply go to the About tab on our website and you'll find the Donate link. We'd also like to ask you to be praying for us and for your fellow listeners. We can all use God's guidance and continued grace as we navigate this world with Him. Thanks for praying. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can also find it on our website, breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for tuning in today to Bread for the Broken.